of all of you, and uh, we come with a message today. Uh, I've been seeking the Lord over what should I share. Well, Dietrich's song this morning told me, you're right on. <laughs> you like to have these confirmations, don't you? You don't want to waste time. But I'm going to be talking about the motivation of the supernatural. In other words, we all believe God does the supernatural, but he does it because of a platform for the supernatural. It doesn't just happen, but it's, it happens because there's a motivation. There's a power at work that produces the supernatural. Now, I'm going to probably share something that uh, until recently I didn't even know it was in the Bible, though I'd read it a thousand times. But uh, what I have to say to you, I believe, is an impartation to your life to open the door of the supernatural. Now, I'm going to tell you a true story. It actually happened. But some years ago, two men were walking through the forest out in the mountainside in the west coast and they were caught in a snowstorm a blizzard now if you've ever been in a blizzard i think you probably have you can't see 10 feet in front of you just pouring down and they're walking and suddenly this blizzard hits them and they can't see very far ahead but they want to get back to their home, which is several miles away. This is a true story. And the two men were trudging through the snow when all of a sudden they came upon a man laying in the snow, freezing to death. He got caught, wasn't prepared, and uh, it finally sapped his strength and he fell to the ground. And there he is, dying, freezing to death out in the mountains. They both looked at him, and one of them said, we've got to help him. The other said, no, if we stop to help him, we're going to die too. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep walking. The other man said, we can't walk away from him. He's, he's dying. He needs our help. No, nope. I'm not going to help him because we, we don't want to die too. And so one of the men kept walking. The other man stopped and he picked up the man that was laying there and he put him over his shoulder. And there in the midst of that blizzard, he's walking with the man over his shoulder. Now, there's a scripture over here, and I hope you'll write these down because I have something to leave with you. In Matthew 5, 7, it says this words, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Is that right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so this man with this freezing guy over his shoulder trudged on towards the home, which was miles away, and he's slowly walking, and he's almost there, about a half a mile away. You can actually see the house forming there, 
when suddenly he looked down and there was his partner laying dead in the snow. He was frozen to death. And there's nothing he could do. He carried the man over his shoulder into the house. They asked, why do you think one died and one lived? And the reason why one lived, when he put the man over his shoulder, it forced his heart to pump harder and to keep his body warm. When the man who didn't have anybody over his shoulder, his heart succumbed to the, the, the blizzard and he fell in the snow and died. Now that's quite a illustration. It takes you to where I want to go. Let me read you some more scriptures. I hope you at least take these scriptures down because I came nearly 3,000 miles to share this word. And uh, if you don't take it serious, the Lord's going to spank you. <laughs> All right, Psalms 111.4. The Lord is full of compassion. And that's the term we're going to use. We don't often use the word compassion, but it, it is very clear what it means, and we'll get to that. In Psalms 25, verse 10, all of the paths of the Lord, all of the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Now, here's the definition. This is the actual uh, Greek definition of the word compassion. It means to pity, to be full of eager yearning, to love tenderly, to show mercy. The song Dietrich sang, the opening word was what? Love. You won't forget that now, will you? That's the opening word because Compassion is wrapped up in this word, love. It's, love is not just a singular word. Love has all of these uh, aspects to pity, to be full of eager yearning, to love tenderly. If you have compassion on someone like the man had on the guy laying in the snow, uh, you're going to want to help him. You can't keep walking away like the one man did. And when the one man walked away, he walked into his demise. And so I want to talk to you about this word compassion because <clears throat> I don't think we realize it, and I'm going to prove this in a few minutes, that this was the absolute motivation for the miracles of Jesus. I'm going to prove that to you. Jesus didn't just say, well, I think I'll heal this man so they'll see how powerful I am. No, that wasn't even in his mind. He's not going to give sight to the blind to show forth his deity, though it did. It showed that he was sin of God and the miracles he did. But there was a motivation behind Jesus when he ministered to the cripples and to the blind, to the leopard, to the weak, to the sick. There was some motivation behind that. And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, today. 
Now, there are, there are three components to the word love. And let me explain this to you because this is very important to understand. You have to have an object. If there's, a, if there's love involved, there's got to be something you're loving. You can't just love the air. <laughs> Might if you need some air. But you, you, you have to have an object. There, number two, write it down, there has to be an emotion. It has to be something that will cause you to be involved with that person. And number three, there has to be a will. So there has to be an object, emotion, and a will. That's what is involved in love. And you can't take any of those away and really have a God love. There's an object. There's a desire to help, to pity, to love tenderly, and there's a desire to will to do it, even though it could cost you a lot. Because to, to give, and you think of the story that I uh, quoted to you about the man, he was putting his life on the line. If you want miracles in your life, you have to put your life on the line. You can't just say, here's a tip. You know, here's a, little, here's a little love, boom. No, you have to give yourself to that person. Now, that's what compassion is all about. Now, I want to tell you a story, and this is a true story that happened to me. <clears throat> uh, first of all, before we do, let's look at the different kinds of love. There's love that's called filial. I'm sure you've heard that, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So there's filial love, which is designed to start in the object. That's my brother. That's my mother. That's my dad. And it's focused on the object. You can't have any filial love if you didn't have an object to start with. That's, that's my brother. That's... That's my son. That's my daughter. And so it's easy to give filial love, which then stirs the emotion and the will. Then there's a, a kind of love that's called eros. And I'm sure you've heard this term used, eros. Uh, I pastored one church 44 years. And we, when I turned it over to Brother Frank DiMaggio, we were about... Uh, 3,500 people, and we'd started about 50 churches. So I'm involved with young people. We started Portland Bible College in 1967, and it's been going, scattering uh, seeds of leadership all over the world. And uh, every so often, I would have a couple say, uh, our marriage is just falling apart, and I'd set them in my office, and they would, the guy generally would say, I don't love her anymore. And I would say to them, you don't have any eros. If you are an adult, you understand what I mean by eros. That's a, that's a desire, it's a sexual desire. Well, whatever you call it, I don't love her no more. Well, you don't have any eros. Eros comes and goes, and we all know that. If we're married, there's times when it's stronger. And, 
but eros is based in the emotion. If you're going to have eros towards somebody, it's an emotional thing. You've heard uh, people say, wow, when I saw her, she turned me on, wow, you know, or he turned me on, you know. Well, that's, that's an eros type of love, and it's really fickle because eros comes and goes. And if you're going to base your home on that one word, eros, you're going to be in trouble before long because she's going to get old and she's going to get wrinkly and her hair is going to fall out or turn gray. And you look at her, boy, she's not the way I, I married her, is she? She's getting heavy and fat. And, see, Because eros is not going to stay as something you lay your foundation on. The last one, so we have filio, eros, and the last one, which is something we right here need to experience, is called agape. Agape is a God love. When the Bible says, God so loved the world, he didn't get excited about the object. Did you know that? When he looked down from heaven and saw you and me, the Bible says, why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that right? In other words, the object wasn't beautiful. He didn't say, woo they turned me on. No, there was no emotion, and the object wasn't. But the third part of love, and it's based in the will. The will. Now, this is something very, very important to understand. The God kind of love operates to your will. And I said, compassion is the motivation for the supernatural. Without it, there is no supernatural. You can, you can try to uh, uh, figure out how to have miracles and pray for people, but if you don't have compassion... There's something missing that brings the supernatural. The story I want to tell you, in, in our church, uh, I had 12 what we call districts around Portland, which is something about the size of in Indianapolis. And so we had these 12 districts. So I had 12 pastors that worked with me that formed my eldership. And uh, there's 12 of them around uh, the country, around the city of Portland. One day, and this, uh, this is a true story, I, get, I met my office at noon and the knock on my door. Now, I have a beautiful office. New carpets, new sofa, perfect. You know, just everything's beautiful. I opened the door, and there stood a ragged-looking man with a beard, bloodshot eyes, uh, vomit and urine smell all over his body. And there he was, drunk, and he said, I need to talk to a pastor. <laughs> I'm thinking, this guy is going to be a problem. I mean, he, he's not going to 
be somebody I'm going to touch like that. This is several hours of work. I said, well, just a moment. Let me see if I can find you a pastor. <laughs> well, it happened to be 12 o'clock, and guess what? All my pastors were out for lunch. I looked down the, uh, the, uh, the hallway, and there's no pastors. And I got this, this dirty, drunken man swinging and trying to stand up and wants to come into my office, which is spotless. <laughs> so I, I looked at him, and, and there's no pastors available except me. Now, there was no emotion. <laughs> the object didn't look good, but I did have a will. And I looked at him, and I said, well, I said, I'm a pastor. I can talk to you. I need to talk to the pastor. So I brought him into my nice, clean office. He sat down on my brand-new sofa with that smelly-looking rags around him, bloodshot eyes, a big beard, his hair all messed up. And then he began to tell me, his story. He says, I, I've lost my wife, my kids. I have three of them. They don't want nothing to do with me because I'm a drunk. And I've got to have some change in my life. I let him talk and we talked and we talked for at least two hours. And finally he kind of came to his senses and he looked at me and, and, uh, he says, I need what you have, Pastor. I need God in my life. I don't have God in my life. I said, well, it's really easy to bring Jesus into your life. You've got to confess him. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to ask him to come into your life. And he will come into your life and give you a new life. He came to give life and that more abundantly. I need that, he said. I need that kind of life because I don't have it. I, I don't, my wife don't want me. My kids don't want me. I don't want myself. I've tried to kill myself several times, but I know I need Jesus. Two hours later, with tears in his eyes, he says, I want to do this. I want to give my life to Jesus. So we, I said, let's just kneel down. So he knelt down on my nice, clean <laughs> sofa, and there he began to bawl, and I could see the tears dripping down on the new sofa. And I'm thinking, he's going to mess this sofa up. <laughs> and he, he confessed his, his sins to the Lord. He said, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need you to forgive me for all the rotten things and he poured out his heart, and he cried. And uh, I could tell, because I've been around enough, this was not a, just a front for a pastor. He was serious. He asked Jesus to come into his heart and to change him. But you know, something really happened. Listen to me carefully. The 
lack of emotion and the lack of looking at the object with, with love changed. And finally, after two hours in a sinner's prayer, we stood up and I looked at him. He's still bearded and red, bloodshot eyes and filthy, dirty. And I said, you're my brother. And he said, yes, you're my brother too. And I found myself wrapping my arms around this drunk in my perfect office. And he gave his life to the Lord and became part of our fellowship. And for many years, he served the Lord. He got back to his wife. His kids received him back. And his whole life was turned around. Now, a healing is a miracle, but that's nothing compared to a life that's turned around. That's something for eternity. And that's the most important part of our journey, is to give our lives to the Lord. And that was an amazing experience for me. I never forgot it because it taught me that if I will to love somebody, I can do that. Now, I'm looking at a good, normal group of people. Every one of you have got an enemy out there. Now, you don't want to admit it, but every one of you know somebody you wish they weren't in your life at all. They're going to get your new sofa all messed up. And, uh, but listen to me. The motivation of the supernatural is compassion. Now, let me read what compassion means again. It's, it means to pity. Can you pity your enemies? Jesus says, love your enemies. Is that right? It says, pray for them that despitefully use you. You can't do that without your will. You can't do it because the object looks nice. No, he just ripped you off, stole money from you, gave you a bad car deal, did all kinds of dumb things. You've got to do something more than just accept what you're seeing. You've got to kick in your will. This guy needs the Lord or he wouldn't be doing these dumb things. Now, as we look at the scriptures... And this is what I want to prove. Jesus based all of his miracles on this word compassion. Now remember what it means. You sang it. The fruit of the Spirit starts off with love, right? It starts off with love. You, the rest of it is not going to work without the first part. Without a manifestation of compassion. Without that, you can't do anything. I mean, you can be patient, you can be gentle, you can do all the rest of the nine gifts of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit, but unless you have compassion, the others don't work. So you can't just say, well, uh, I, I'm not much of, of emotional, compassionate guy. I'm just going to push that aside, and I'll be patient and gentle and the rest of them I'll, I'll work on. No, 
You can't. It doesn't work that way. If you really want to know the ingredients of compassion, read 1 Corinthians 13. And it'll tell you all of the ingredients that are showing uh, forth out of a person who loves somebody. You know what I mean? Come on, give me some amens out there. It, it means I will do anything to help him. That's what love says. I will do anything to love him. Now let me give you some scriptures. The first scripture that I like is found over in Luke 4. This is where Jesus started his life. He was led by the spirit to be tempted of the devil. And he went out and uh, the enemy came to test him. And uh, let me read verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. How do I know? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, the recovering of sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who are oppressed. He said, this is my spirit now. I didn't come that people just believe I'm the son of God. I came to help them. Jesus loved to minister to people. Now, I want to, I'm just going to read a few scriptures. At least take them down. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with what? Compassion. It wasn't that, I'm going to show you how strong and powerful the Son of God is. No. He was moved with compassion. He pitied them. He saw the multitude, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Why did Jesus heal the sick. He had compassion. Now, his will was involved. Now, let me read some more here. Very important, because I went through the Bible over and over and over and over again. It says, and he was moved with compassion. We can't expect miracles to take place here in this church, Life Church, unless this is a place of compassion. And people feel it. When they walk into your doors here, and this is a beautiful facility, but the facility is going to do it. The people are going to show compassion. Mark 140. Now a leopard came to him, imploring him, kneeling down, saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, which you don't touch a leper, and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. The will is being enforced here. Matthew 15, 32, and Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion 
on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the Bible says, I had compassion. You see, we try to slip in. Let's, let's show how great we are as a church and do miracles. Now, even if you could, it's not going to affect people. The thing that affects people is that you love them, that you are willing to open your office and say, come on in, I can help you. It may cost me something, and it does often. Listen to what uh, Matthew 20, uh, verse 31 says. Then the multitude uh, warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out the more, saying, Have mercy, O Lord, the Son of David. So Jesus stood and called them, What do you want me to do? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open." So Jesus had, say it out loud, compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Luke seven thirteen, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. This is the woman whose uh, boy is dead and he's in the coffin. And it says he, he went and said, Young man, I say unto you. Now he's based on compassion. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to her mother, to his mother. Listen to this scripture. And these are just a few. Mark 5 verse 1 and they came to the other side of the sea and uh, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwellings among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and that, and, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. The chains and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And guess what happened? And Jesus uh, touched him and said, go back to your home and tell him what compassion the Lord has had upon you. Here's a demonic man out of the tombs, naked, cutting himself with stones. And Jesus let him into the office, let him sit on the, the new sofa. And Jesus had compassion on him I, I just want you to know it's a simple message but this place in one year's time can double its size if every one of us would think I've got to show compassion 
and I can't do it by my emotions because they're not there. I'm going to do it by my will. I have a $20 bill. See that nice, crisp $20 bill? That's, let's say it's $20,000 bill. Worth a lot. The Bible says that Satan comes, what, to kill, steal, and destroy. So the devil comes like this to, to every one of us. Let's get rid of him. And let's just pound him to nothing. There's the $20 bill. It once looked like this one. And now, let me ask you, how much value does this have? It has the same value as this one. This is what God wants to do for you, but this is what he's got to work with. And everywhere we go, we find people like this, everywhere. You cannot get by today without running into one of these. But what's the value? It's, the value hasn't changed at all. Now, listen to me. I want to prove something here. I'm going to give this away. Now, you know, if, I, if you saw that laying there, you say, oh, I'm going to pick that up. That's nice and crisp $20 bill or $2,000 bill. I'm going to pick that up. But are you going to pick this up? The first person up here gets to have it. It's $2,000. Whoa! Now that was alive and well. I'm, I was hoping the girl would beat you. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a good, good uh, example. You know, if, if we go out of here today and all we're looking for is crumpled dollars, the, the value is there. A soul is worth more than the whole world. And everywhere you go, next door neighbor, guy at work, a guy at school, uh, the, the groceryman, everybody you work with, they're either been saved and they look like this and you like to have them next to you, oh my, or they're all wrinkled and they've been stepped on. So what are you going to do? Why do you think God gave you this beautiful facility? To sit here with two-thirds of the seats empty? Uh -uh. And it's not because he wants to show how powerful he is. He wants to show how loving he is. How he really wants to help this community. Everywhere you go. Right now, when you go out of here, you're going to find somebody, if you'll screw up your will, 
say, I'm going to will to help this guy. Now, one of the great things that are going on in the Christendom today, and it's been kind of pushed by Bethel there in California, is that we can love people by loving them. Just by loving them, praying for them, touching them. Hey, can I help you? This is where I live. I will do anything to help you. Well, I don't have no money. Well, let me share some money with you. I don't have no food. Let me get you some food. I have this, these old rags. Let me buy you some nice clothes. You know, we got to just think out of the box, you know, and we can do that. Now, you know, whether or not there's a miracle like we're seeing here with Jesus, he is telling us very clearly that miracles are motivated by compassion. And he had compassion and healed. He had compassion and he opened their eyes. He had compassion and the leper was healed. He had compassion and the dead was raised. You, you see these two words are mixed together. If we want miracles in our lives, we have to have compassion. We have to look at the people we meet and say, we love them. We want to help.